We're in a series on the book of Philippians, and today we come to the second half of chapter 3 of that letter. You might like to keep it open. I think it was page 955. 955. It's a passage packed with images and ideas, and I want to explore some of them today by suggesting that Paul, in this passage, describes people who are mature as attic people. Yep, that's a bit weird. Mature people as attic people. Meaning two things by saying that mature people are attic people. Firstly, that people who are mature live in what one of my favourite authors, Larry Crabb, calls the upper room. That is, they live in and out of the new self that Christ gives to any who ask. The higher, better nature that draws its energy from Christ himself. The room where people have a new purity from Christ, a new identity from Christ, a new inclination from Christ and a new power from Christ. And the room where out of all of those things people have a passion to worship, a passion to trust, a passion to grow and a passion to obey. I think it's that kind of upper room space, that kind of attic that Paul's reminding the Philippian Christians that they already inhabit. The place where people know the righteousness that's been given to them by Christ, where they know Christ and seek to know him more, and where they live out of their identity in Christ. Paul's speaking of living in that room and encouraging the Philippian Christians to live in this room that's their true home. Secondly, I'm using ATTIC as an acronym for the images and ideas that we find in this passage. We see Paul speaking about ideas of being an athlete, living in the truth, trusting God. See him talking about ideas of imitation and the reality of being citizens of heaven. Some props for each of those today. So being an athlete, I've got a first place ribbon for the goal for the prize of the athlete and of the runner. Living in the truth, I've got a Bible. Trusting God, I have a blindfold. And where my... Brain's gone there is, um, you know, doing lots of kids and youth ministry trust games. You might remember them where someone's blindfolded and someone else is leading them. So blindfold for trust. Imitation. I've got a footprint with follow me. And citizens of heaven. I've got a passport. So we're going to explore this attic today. 
One of the first images we come across in this passage is that of an athlete, and in particular, a runner with a goal. Not much of a runner these days, and I'm sure there's plenty of people here who could say more about the relevance of some of these images and how important they are in running. Those who have run marathons, for example, or have ridden in competitive races. And perhaps today, keeping your eye on the ball, given the weekend we're in, keeping your eye on the ball or going after the flag might be the images that would be helpful for us today. But most of us have enough of a sense of running to make sense of this image. Pulls me right back to my little athletics days. Ideas of forgetting what's behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, and pressing on towards the goal make sense to us. If we look sideways when we run or look back, what happens? Imagine some of you have been at athletics carnivals of children or grandchildren recently. You can probably picture kids doing just that. Slows us down, doesn't it? And takes our energy and eyes off the race that we're running. How easy is it to do that in running and in life? Takes deliberate choice and energy to keep our eyes on our own race. But what's Paul saying he's forgetting? To have a sense of that, we need to go to earlier in chapter 3, where he spoke about the reasons that he had for confidence in the flesh, the things that he now considers loss and regards as rubbish or as crap, as Kieran spoke about last week. He's forgetting all those things. They don't matter to his race. Focusing on them would be distractions. That's so true for us too. It might be what we've done that's noteworthy, like Paul, but it may also be things that we've done that we're ashamed of. It might be just stuff that distracts us, or it might be our comparison with others, like the runner who looks to the side to see where the other runner is. Paul could forget all that, and we can forget it all because it's all been dealt with by Christ and because it doesn't matter and it's all rubbish in light of the race that we're running. And what is this race? What is it that Paul speaks about straining forward to what lies ahead? And what's the goal that he speaks about pressing on towards? Again, we need to look back to earlier in chapter 3 And I think the goal is knowing Christ. That's the thing that he counts as having surpassing value, knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. That's where I want to consider the second idea in this passage before coming back to our athlete image. Living in the truth. Within the athlete idea, there are some beautiful images of deep and precious truth. Paul says about himself in verse 12, Not that I've already obtained this 
or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'll come back to what Paul's saying that he has not obtained, but let's ponder for a moment the idea that Paul speaks of, that Christ Jesus has made him his own. That is, he's found in Christ, he is Christ's, and has a righteousness that comes from faith in Christ, not through anything that he's done. This is the truth that he lives and dwells in, and out of which the whole image of the athlete is based. He's not striving for that. He has that. Christ Jesus has made him his own. So what hasn't he obtained? What goal has he not reached? What is he pressing on to make his own? See in verse 11, the verse above where our passage started today, pressing on for a deeper expression of knowing Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing in his sufferings. That's what he's pressing on towards a deeper experience and knowledge of what is already his because Christ Jesus has taken hold of him. He's straining to live into the truth of the fact he is in Christ in his new identity, that's the race he's running and that's the goal for which he's running. Not striving to get something that isn't his, but focused on living more deeply into what is his already, with the same degree of focus and determination as an athlete runs a race. But that comes out of his experience of the truth that Christ Jesus already has taken hold of him. The experience and his knowledge of the righteousness that is his because of that makes him want to pursue Christ with everything he's got. Pray that that may increasingly be our experience and desire to. Trust is the next idea I want to explore in our attic. Coming out of Paul's experience of knowing Christ, of Christ Jesus making him his own, literally Jesus having taken hold of him, Paul trusts God in his ability to work in people's lives. His life has been completely transformed by God after all. And if God can change him in the way he has, then he's perfectly capable of changing others. And for that matter, continuing to change him as well. In our culture, where it's common to hear people speak about each person having their own truth, it's easy to hear words like Paul's in verse 15 and think Paul's semi-aligning with those thoughts of each person having their own truth. But no, he's clear on the truth being the truth. That's not in question here. There's no subjective sense to Paul's idea of truth. It's absolute. And he's not in any way afraid to state it and be clear about it. 
but he doesn't feel the need to force that onto people because he trusts that the God who has met him will meet others and reveal himself to them and reveal all truth to them. Next idea in our attic is that of being imitators. Paul urges the Philippians to be imitators of him and others who live like him. It's those who are upper room, attic people, people who know Christ, live out of being secure in him and pursue Jesus with everything they've got. And he also then speaks in verse 18 and 19 about some who are not living like that. People who are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction, God is their belly, glory, who glory in their shame, and whose minds are set on earthly things. And it's implied. Don't be imitators of them. There are many thoughts about the specifics of who Paul's referring to here. They're probably people who have been within the church. There are different schools of thought about whether they're people who are pursuing all the things of the world overtly, like those um, living like the younger brother, for those who know the story of the prodigal son. Or another school of thought thinks that they might be religious people like the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. But for our benefit, those schools of different schools of thought don't really matter and in a funny way are quite helpful for us. Neither of those groups of people, then or now, are living out of who they are in Christ and pursuing Christ with everything they've got. Don't be imitators of them. Imitate those like Paul who know that it's nothing of their own doing that makes them anything or anyone and who embrace what Christ has done for them and then live out of that place and pursue Jesus in all its forms. Those are the people to imitate, the people whose lives say to live is Christ. Wonder what Paul would write in verses 18 and 19, those verses I've been considering, if he was writing to people in 2020 Australia, in 2020 Cottesloe. What groups of people who we might be tempted to imitate, whose minds are on earthly things, would he write about? What about if he was writing to you specifically? What are the characteristics of those people and ideas around you and in our culture where earthly things are the main goal and focus might Paul address? Remember that they may be good or religious people, like it's possible the people Paul was thinking about were. There's lots of things I could address, but just a couple came to mind that I thought I'd explore. One that's been key around me personally is those who would pursue self-actualization 
or self-help or even spirituality in ways that are very much in the nature of the spirit of the age. There's truth in some of these things, so I'm not at all saying there's no helpfulness in anything from this kind of place. But taken as a whole, it's pursuing life and wholeness without Jesus. Numbers of my friends have been diverted from following Christ by their increasing focus on and following of the messages and lifestyles of those for whom self-actualisation and self-help is their end goal. It's been important for me to limit the times and places that I surround myself with friends for whom this has become a key focus so that I don't imitate them. I think this is one type of thing that Paul may have written about in verse 18 and 19 for the 2020 Western world. Another thing that comes to mind is an image written about in a book by a guy called James K.A. Smith called You Are What You Love. A great book that speaks about how we're shaped and formed by the things we love and worship. He speaks about shopping centres and the way that they're built and how they draw us in to worship the things that are the idols of our age, that are embodied, the things that are embodied in places like shopping centres. Consumerism, materialism, individualism and plenty more. Things that so easily can distract us from pursuing Christ and encourage us to embrace earthly things. And another thing that I think Paul would potentially have written about in verse 18 and 19 for the 2020 Western world. And because we're people who catch things as much as we're taught things, who we're around and the ideas and philosophies that we're around, we will tend to imitate. How are we being intentional in imitating those who are pursuing knowing Christ and living in and for him? And how are we being careful to avoid imitating those whose mind are set on earthly things? final idea in our attic is that of being citizens. Attic people know that they're citizens of heaven and live out of that knowledge and identity. They know that ultimately they belong in the realm where Jesus rules and reigns and that's the kingdom that they're citizens of. And they know that it's this Jesus who has and will save and transform them. It's Jesus, the king of that kingdom, who has made them his own. They might be living on earth and in the particular situations that they find themselves in, but Attic people know that their citizenship is in heaven. And this shapes everything about how they live, where they are, like it did 
Their minds are on things that matter in that realm rather than on earthly things. They're secure because they know that Christ Jesus has made them his own and so therefore they know that they belong as citizens of heaven. They're free from the preoccupations and desperations that consume and distract others who don't have that security. And they live in ways that are congruent with being citizens of the place where King Jesus rules and reigns. So I pray that we might indeed be upper room attic people. People who live as athletes with everything in us being given to knowing Christ. People who live in and out of the truth that we're righteous and that Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. People who trust God to do his work, to know that we can't transform ourselves or others. People who are imitators of those who pursue Christ, other mature attic people. And people who live as citizens of heaven. Pray that we might be people who pursue Christ knowing that he has made us his own. People who forget what lies behind and strain towards what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal of knowing Christ and being found in him. Amen.